When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hi, everybody. This is Adriana Trajani. I'm the host of You Are What You Read. I have the privilege of interviewing luminaries of our times about the books that shaped them from childhood until now. We get everybody from Sarah Jessica Parker to Kristen Hanna, Mitch Albom, Susie Essman, Craig Ferguson, Rain Wilson, Amor Tolls, you name it, they come, they share. New episodes of You Are What You Read drop every Tuesday on Apple, Spotify, or any major streaming platform wherever you listen to your podcasts. Tom Bernard Show with... Co-host, Catherine Brandt. Andy Brandt-Bernard. Dave Schrader. Mike Molina. And Master Gardener, Ralph Toy Basham, MD, the Hackmaster. Yeah, I'd worry about Master Gardener when it's going to snow 10 inches. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> and and by the way, the low tonight is 9 degrees, so don't do too much gardening. No, we'll be out there too much. We'll be back, Tom Bernard Show. Walzer Automotive Group started in Minnesota over 60 years ago. Most people know something about the Walzer way. Upfront, no haggle pricing, work with one person from start to finish, or the free lifetime powertrain warranty on most vehicles sold in Minnesota. What you might not know is they are the only automotive group that is a member of the Keystone Club. They join such great Minnesota companies as General Mills, Target, Cargill, the Twins, Wolves, and Vikings in pledging 5% pre-tax profits to local charities. It's a great example of their core values. Do the right thing, display positive energy, be open-minded, and lead by example. So if you're in the market for a new or used car, check out walzer.com or stop into one of their dealerships. Please don't say, tell them Tommy sent you, because it sounds fake and I hate it. Walzer Automotive Group. Walzer.com. Michael Bryant, Brad Sean Bryant, what's the latest? Well, basically, we're trying to represent people who have been hurt and talk to them before they talk to an adjuster. Uh, one of the key points is to make sure you know what your rights are before you start talking to the insurance company and they start asking you questions or they try to settle your case early and cheap. Well, what's interesting to me is, you know, a lot of people have fear of attorneys. It makes them very uncomfortable. They get nervous about it. What should I do? I've known Michael for years and years now, and I would highly recommend you. So that should be good enough for everybody because I don't endorse people who are dirtbags. Well, I, I appreciate that. Um, but I guess the key is is people think I'll charge them if I talk to them. Right. So a lot of people call me up. It's like, how much is this going to cost if you call me back? Like, you want me to call you back? How much will that cost? I don't charge people. The only way I get paid is if we recover, um, if we get money from the, the other side. And there's a lot of people I talk to that I never get paid for that are just part of giving them advice to make sure they know what they can do and what their rights are. And your record's terrific as well, we should point out. Well, it works. It's been good. It's been good, ladies and gentlemen. It's been good. And how do they contact you? uh, Either through our website, which is minnesotapersonalinjury.com, minnesotapersonalinjury.com, or at 800-770-7008. Michael Bryant, Bradshaw, and Bryant. Look around. These are brown. And the sky is a hazy shade. Guys, not supposed to be a hazy shade of winter when it's April 3rd. No, it is not. I mean, it snows in April, but I don't know, man. New York and the Northeast is getting hammered a lot more than the Midwest is. Remember about 12 years ago? Although, it was like that last weekend in May, and we got like 18 inches of snow over the weekend. Oh, God. Uh, they hate it. <laughs> yeah, man. Your point? It'll be a good Things game could on be Thursday, worse. home opener. Yeah, right? Yeah, Thursday, the home opener is supposed to be 35 degrees. I still remember one year in Dayton. I don't know how it happened, but you know that little concrete parking slab just to the left of the three-car three garage? Mm-hmm. Yes. One year, there was like a nine-foot pile of snow there <laughs> because they just it kept on snowing, and they kept on pushing it over there, and it never melted. That's I think where the doghouse used to be. Yeah. Yes, mm-hmm. yes. I think that's the most snow I've ever seen in one place. A lot Just of snow. a nine-foot <laughs> giant pile of snow. It was right next to the Christmas tree that I picked up and threw out the front door and then just hid behind the garage. 
and the UPS and FedEx guys told me it was still there as of like two years ago. Yeah, because, I don't think pine trees really uh, go away so much. Well, he said the Christmas lights and all that stuff were still back there, too. What about ghetto? So, you know. No, remember we went out. Here's what we did. When the kids were little, they were like nine and seven years old, we said, let's go out to a tree farm and cut down our own Christmas tree. It'll be the greatest of all time. Clark and Ellen? Cutting down a tree is hard. Normal people yes. can do this. Just yeah. that Normal people can do it. We cannot. <laughs> I don't think most people cut down their own tree. I think they get someone to cut it down for them. So we trudge out there. It had snowed about a foot, something like that. Oh, it made it even better. It's really Christmassy well, out here. Catherine's now. idea. Yeah, the problem was, yeah, it, but the problem was it, well, there was, it was so snowy that all of the trees were covered in a ton of snow. So you really couldn't snow. see them that well. So we just went, look at this one. It's just perfect. It's a beautiful tree. It looked gorgeous. So we get down there, and we dig and dig and dig and dig. And we finally get down to the base of the trunk. And we saw it and saw it and saw it. And we cut it down, and I haul it back to the car. We were Clark and Helen, as you said. It was I was Clark Griswold all the way. We get it home. Well, you know, we brushed all the snow off it. And, oh, God, what a great tree. Oh, are you kidding me? That thing was in the laundry room. I was. It was in a bucket of water. I was right. spraying it with, uh, right. misting it. I was going to make sure it was going to be the perfect tree. It yep, took days it to prepare to put took up. took days to prepare to put up. So it finally, all the boughs of the tree dropped to where they're supposed to be, and it's fully, it's ready to go. And as we're putting it in the tree stand, we all noticed this was probably about, an what, an eight-foot Christmas tree? Uh, I don't think the we'll ceilings seven, are that high. Yeah, seven maybe feet. seven. Okay, seven-foot Christmas tree. About three feet up from the base, there was a hard right turn in the trunk. <laughs> it was so About a foot later, there was another hard left turn going straight back up. World's worst tree. <laughs> we, tried to, we tried to tie the tree. We tried to tie it to oh the wall gosh. so it wouldn't keep falling over. It was, yeah. Because it would not stand up. This it tree was a it. disaster. It had a horrible so, orthopedic deformity. It did. It did. It scoliosis the, the scoliosis so many ways. Christmas tree. <laughs> so, Jeff Passold, and it's, it's probably going to bring this up at the Hall of Fame speech coming up in September because he and I got in the Minnesota Hall of Fame at the same time. <laughs> I'm on the phone with Jeff Passelt. He said, here's my impression of that phone call. Yeah, so anyway, Jeff, I... <laughs> God damn it! Son of a bitch! I, and he said, he hears the front door open. He hears the sound of me jingle, picking the jingle, tree up. Jingle, 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 tinkle, As I threw it out the front door into the yard. And then I later dragged it behind the garage. And it's there to this day. Probably rotted away by now. But all the decorations are probably still there. The, the tree would, no matter what you did, you uh, tied it to the wall. Whatever you did. Buckets of water all over the floor. Const- oh, yeah, God. we were constantly trying to wedge the thing up oh my god what's well, not it pass all laugh so hard my, why don't uh, i remember this oh, you were too little oh <laughs> couldn't you have just oh, this was you like just cut it in half 30. that would have been a better idea would have been a better idea a flat top christmas tree would have been oh, much that better tree yeah. such a pain. i meant from the or bottom a, top a three a three foot tall christmas tree if you when it turned hard to the right and then when it turned hard to the left again to go back up north if you cut it there, you could have had about a three-foot Christmas So tree. we've had an artificial tree ever since and have never ever looked since. back. Yes, never never looked back. back. Yeah, I never remember having a uh-uh. real tree. No, I, uh, never did, again. I gave up on the on the real tree. I came home. Uh, this was 20-some years ago. Almost 28, 29 years ago. I came home on New Year's Eve, and my building was surrounded by firemen. And, oh, uh, no. Yeah. The family oh, yeah, Christmas the, trees with the sap. Very yeah, the family flammable. in the apartment yeah. across from me, um, they were having a party for New Year's Eve, and a uh, light burst and ignited their Christmas tree. Oh, and God. the wife ran back in to get the baby. The husband ran in to get the wife, and all three of them died up against their front door no. because they couldn't get out. Yeah, and after that, I was like, I'm never having a live Christmas tree again. I admit they look beautiful, no. but... Uh, you yeah. have to fireproof them. Yeah. You absolutely have to fireproof them. That's terrifying. Them. Yeah, people don't know that uh, pine tree sap is its basically like 
you could run a car with it if you wanted. Just like, <laughs> it's just so it's insane. True. You'd think, like, why would a tree produce something so flammable? You'd think a tree would itself want... against bugs, usually. Well, but yeah. why not produce something that's not flammable, but bugs don't like? How because about that? Trees yeah, are well, flammable, and everything that's in them is flammable. Oh, Chris, I, what, I have not had a good run with Christmas trees, I will tell you that. <laughs> when I was 10 years old, the Christmas, the first Christmas after they hauled my old man to the nut house, uh, they used to have a burning barrel behind the houses back then. This yeah. was in yeah. the early 60s. Yeah. Yeah, he had a burning barrel. Yeah. Just like in Punta well, Cana. I don't know. I'm 10 years old, right? Yeah, like in Punta Cana. That's exactly right. They burned all the garbage every morning in Punta Cana. So... The burning barrel's out back of our house, and it's burning. And they had taken down the Christmas tree because it was oh, probably, you know, what, the Epiphany's when? The 6th of January? Is that what it is? Because yes. that's the only time to- Toots would let you bring the Christmas tree down. Is No, no, it's not coming down before the Epiphany. Not happening. Okay, so we, we did, which means it was dry as a bone. <laughs> And I, as a 10-year-old, walked out and shoved it into the burning barrel. Yep. <laughs> Holy yeah, God, did that thing go up. That'll go up like the 4th of July. I'm seven years old. Same house. We lived there for a few years. One of the few houses we lived in for a few years, by the way. Our next-door neighbor was about a six foot six, 280-pound black man who did not like me. I don't know what the hell I... I don't think he liked anybody, to tell you the truth. But he was this very large man. I'm standing by his house. I mean, I'm seven years old at the time. He has a purple flocked Christmas tree. Oh, sexy. I I had never seen a flocked Christmas tree in my life before. And it's purple, and it's got these lights all over it. Uh, Melina, get out the uh, editing uh, uh, razor blade. So I'm I'm staring at this beautiful Christmas tree, and I mean magnificent Christmas tree. I had never seen anything like that before. It has purple snow on it somehow. Where did he get the purple snow? What's that all about? And I'm just in awe, looking through his window into his living room at his Christmas tree, and I hear behind me, "The fuck are you looking at?" <laughs> <laughs> Christmas trees and I do not have a good history. Have a holly jolly Christmas. Jolly Christmas. <laughs> You've been fine ever since we made the change. Yeah. Yeah, that's true. As soon as we went to fake Christmas trees, I've been faux, fine. Faux, thank yeah. you very much. We moved, oh, faux, yes, faux Christmas trees. We moved into our house in Pennsylvania when I was when I was in third grade or second grade or some such thing. And uh, next summer, my dad says, I'm going to plant some uh, pine trees. He planted uh, these these uh, they were six inch tall pine trees, spaced and perfectly aligned out, uh, out, out on, in a little bit of on a lot of land we had. And uh, after about oh six seven years, we never went anybody we never went any place for a Christmas tree. I was just sent out there and says, "Go cut us a Christmas tree." There you go. You know, and at one point they were twenty feet tall. I said, "I just cut the top out of one of them." Just cut the top out of one of them and then bring it in. And where's our Christmas tree? We, 20 we, feet tall. Oh, yeah. They, they we grow. had some in Dayton in our front yard. We had some pine trees that must have been 40 feet tall. Oh, still absolutely. There. They're still there. Absolutely yeah. enormous. Yep. They are still there, my young son. See, I, I never knew. I love Christmas. I never knew about burning barrels. And I remember... Uh, I no, grew, you're too young. Well, well, we had them. I just didn't know what they were for. I just thought they were a garbage can oh, people kept I in the see. middle of their yard to collect their crap. So uh, my buddy's mom sent us out to clean. He had this house in Bloomingdale, Illinois. And she wanted us to pick up all the branches and garbage, she said, and throw it in the in the can. So I'm cleaning, and I find... Uh, Art goes into the house getting something, and I find a bunch of um, used and spent, what I thought were spent cans of like uh, spray paint. And I toss them into the barrel. And then oh, I just keep throwing stuff God. on top of it. I have no clue what's about to happen. So we load this thing up, and his mom comes out and lights the barrel on fire. She takes this stick thing and sticks it in through the hole in the bottom to start it up. Oh. And we're all sitting there, and and I'm, I'm looking at him. I go, well, what happens to all the cans? And she goes, well, what cans? And I go, well, like those empty paint cans I threw in there. And she goes, what empty paint cans? Boom! Yeah. Boom! Boom! The whole backyard oh, just sounds like World War Three has taken off, and <laughs> we had cops surrounding the house. It was. Uh, <laughs> I, uh, you know, people have been killed yeah. by that. Yeah, 
Some people, yeah, I mean, it blows up and then flies out of there, and it's so razor sharp it cuts their throat. Yeah, thankfully. Some thankfully, we were far enough it. away, and uh, but the, I've never heard booms like that in my entire life. That was oh, crazy. Man. I would imagine so. So you, you do remember burning barrels, though? I do now, yeah. <laughs> I do now. Oh, yeah. Yeah, everybody had burning barrels, and everybody would, would rake their leaves out into the gutter in the street and set them on fire. Mm-hmm. Everybody in the street? Would do, in the street, yeah. Oh. I remember that when I was a kid. People would there, City kids. Burning pile. Well, Gerald, said, remember what he said? We're walking along one day. He's from Northern Ireland, right? We're walking along, and there was, I, I don't know, if somebody had uh, started a control fire out in Corcoran or whatever it was, but there was a fire burning. It was a grass burn. Right, and the that wonderful smell. Burning leaves do smell wonderful. Mm-hmm. Yes, I like they that really smell do. Too. So we're walking along. I said, you know, God, I remember that smell when I was a little kid. I just love that every fall, the, that wonderful smell. And he goes, Oh, I'll tell you one thing. I love it too, Tom. Smells like burning Protestant homes. <laughs> oh, oh, my God. <laughs> That's really nice. I'm like, okay, well, why don't you stand over there and I'll wait over here. Honest to God, really? Then he starts laughing up a storm and like, yeah, okay, smart ass. See, those were were the days. Remember getting excited, too, when they'd come out and they'd open up the fire hydrants once every couple of months to flush out all the rusty water? Sure. And you get out there and play in them, or did you not do that growing up? No, we did absolutely because they, yeah, absolutely they did that and for the very reason you're talking about. They had to had to like filter them out once in a while, but the kids all loved to go. You know, those hot summer days when they would do that. Yep. Some yeah. Some day some days they would use because some people didn't have air conditioning in North Minneapolis. You know we're at a really I mean, weird point in our history, right? I mean, I grew up. I, I think it was my generation was one of the last generations, uh, you know, growing up in the 70s and 80s to really kind of be outdoor playing people on a constant basis. Then all of a sudden, yeah. coming into the yeah. 90s and the 2000s, it just doesn't happen. And I sit there thinking, my kid's got to get outside and play. But I'm also one of those parents where it's like, yeah, but man, it's a dark, creepy world out there now. There's a lot of, and, right. and it's a weird kind right. of dichotomy because I still want them to go out and have those. I, I would come, get up in the morning, I'd have a bowl of cereal, I'd be out until lunch, come home, have a PB&J, I'd be out until dinner, eat dinner, yeah, I'd be out too. until sunset, and sometimes even mm-hmm. later playing flashlight tag, and then I'd come in completely exhausted from the day. My kids will never know what that experience is like. Nope. Well, that's why mom and dad had the right idea and uh, raised me and Alex at, uh, on a farm. And we did. Yeah. Because we, we, we were outside all the time because there was just so much land. We could do whatever we wanted. And yeah. there was never any danger of, you know, like uh, sociopaths or anything like that. Well, they were there, just but it just it. wasn't as prevalent as it is. it seems today. That's the scary part. Not on the farm, oh, no. no. Yeah. There was, I mean, not... It, the farm, you're, you're not... Yeah, but then you didn't have the any, neighborhood kids, though, You can't be right? safer. Right. Oh, See, we had some. I was friends with uh, pretty much every neighborhood kid my age. I mean, yeah. neighborhood, in this case, means, you know, their houses were each about a half a mile away, but still... Yeah, you're not going to... close enough. Not, you're not going to scare up anybody for a baseball game. But no. Andy, I'm, no. Surprised Certainly not. I'm surprised you don't want to live there. I do want to live there, but I don't have the money to afford take a break. 30 acres of land. Break, yes, you break, do. break. <laughs> We're going to sell our house to Andy. That's a great oh, idea. God. We'll be right back, Tom Bernard. This is Tom for Flow. For the past 35 years, Flow's passion to invent a better way has created some of the finest recreational products available. Flow's Cargo Max trailer line is a perfect example of their innovation. This trailer is redefining the utility trailer industry. They start with a strong aluminum frame and then add a thermoform polymer bed. It gives you a nearly indestructible one-piece trailer body. And since it's molded, it adds style that the trailer industry has never seen. They even beat it with a large sledgehammer at 20 below zero to prove how tough it is. Best of all, you'll never worry about dents, rust, rot, or paint. Visit their website at floeintl.com to find your local dealer and to see videos of this unique trailer, including a video showing hockey star Ryan Suter shooting pucks at it, trying to break it. You'll quickly see how Flow has earned the reputation for quality products and offering you more for your money. Flow, a better way. It's Tom telling you how easy it's been for me to lose weight on the Nutramost weight loss plan. I've started up another round at the new Nutramost Plymouth location, and those unwanted pounds are going fast. 
I've lost over 34 pounds. Nutrimose is so easy, and they guarantee that you lose 20 pounds or more in just 40 days. There's no exercise, shots, drugs, prepackaged food, and I'm never hungry. Nutrimose has helped me change my life, and I know they can help you too. Nutrimose to Plymouth is hosting a second free informational dinner. Learn how to have success losing weight just like me. Neil Sheehy, Nutrimose client and owner, who played nine years in the NHL and is an agent to some of the NHL's current top players, will be at the dinner, and so will I, actually. It's Monday, April 30th, 6 p.m. at Jake City Grill in Plymouth, located around the corner from Nutramost, just off Highway 55 and 494. Space is limited. Call 763-333-7337 to register. That's 763-333-7337. When I'm out on the street, Gentlemen, I'm to sell our farm to Andy, but Catherine doesn't want to. Andy I wouldn't. To okay, want let's just move to on to something that people care about. Commute. That's one thing. That's true. Well, how do you the, live on a farm? The, if you com- don't the farm commute, commute was uh, oh God, pretty brutal. Too. It was a waste. What are you so touchy about? Just stop. Why? We're talking about the old times. <laughs> talking about the old times. Mom's all whipped up. No, that would be so cool if the family kept that. If they kept that farm, oh in the family my god! Move All right, on apparently, with your life apparently, already. I'll shut up now. Jesus. Never mind. <laughs> Help us all. When is the last time a stereotype popped into your mind? Just <laughs> now, when Catherine was being a pain in the ass. Women are a pain in the ass, really. That's Whoa. a stereotype. Oh, no. <laughs> well, Tom, let that. Oh, well, Ralph and I got to get going now. Oh, time. Boy, look at the time. <laughs> Can't thank you enough. Funny, I forgot to laugh. (laughs) When is the last time a stereotype popped into your mind? If you're like most people, the authors included, it happens all the time. Would you admit to yourself that stereotypes pop into your mind a lot? Yeah, all the time. Do do they? Do they? They say they happen all the time. For the record, no. Well, (laughs) we evolved them for a reason. Exactly. It's just easier. It it takes less thought. That's exactly what, what this article is about. That does not make you a racist, sexist, or whateverist. It just means your brain is working properly, noticing patterns and making generalizations. But the same thought processes that make people smart can also make them biased. This tendency for stereotype-confirming thoughts to pass spontaneously through our minds is what psychologists call implicit bias. It sets people up to overgeneralize, sometimes leading to uh, discrimination, even when people feel they're being fair. Studies of implicit bias have recently drawn ire from both the right and the left. For the right, talk of implicit bias is just another instance of progressives seeking injustice or seeing injustice under every bush. For the left, implicit bias diverts attention from more damaging instances of explicit bigotry. By the way, explicit bigotry is one word. I've never seen explicit bigotry before. I don't think it's supposed to be. I don't think it's supposed to be either. Debates have become heated and leapt from scientific journals to the popular press. Along the way, some important points have been lost. We highlight two misunderstandings that anyone who wants to understand implicit bias should know about. First, much of the controversy centers on the most famous implicit bias test. That would be that all Sicilians are criminals and in the mafia. No, I just threw that up for Melina just to see if you react in some way. Uh, no reaction. First, no. Much of the <laughs> no reaction at all. He's probably editing Didn't... the show because he has 8,000 swear words to take care yeah, of. Yeah, he does today. That's true. First, much of the controversy centers on the most famous implicit bias test, the implicit association test. A majority of people taking this test show evidence of implicit bias, suggesting that most people are implicitly biased, even if they do not think of themselves as prejudiced. Like any measure, the test does have limitations. The stability of the test is low, meaning that if you take the same test a few weeks apart, you might score very differently. And the correlation between a person's IAT scores and discriminatory behavior is often small. The IAT is a measure, and it doesn't follow from a particular measure being flawed that the phenomenon we're attempting to measure is not real. Drawing that conclusion is to commit the divining rod fallacy. That's the actual name of it, the divining rod fallacy. Just because a rod doesn't find water doesn't mean there's no such thing as water. 
A smarter move is to ask, what does the other evidence show? See, that's the whole problem. That's what we've lost in our, our society in America now. We don't look for other evidence. Well, what does the other evidence show, right? Like these laws that were changed in downtown Minneapolis, or in the city of Minneapolis, I shouldn't say downtown, that you, uh, they've, they're going to make it, uh, it's against the law now to spit in a public park. It's against the law to hang around bathrooms at a public park. And it's against the law to swear in a public park. They're going to change that so you'll be able to do all of those things. Do you know why they're changing the law? Because they claim that it causes uh, minorities to be arrested by police officers. It gives police officers, quote, unquote, an excuse to arrest a minority. But my question would be, then why would you do it? Uh, yeah, if that's you know a good it's question. against the law, why would you do it? Yeah, so basically what they're saying is minorities can't help it but break the law. I, yeah, that's, which, I mean, that's exactly my point, Andy. What you're saying as a white man is mm-hmm. that, that minorities will automatically break the law because yeah. they don't know any So better. laws are unfair against them because they can't help it. So and what you're saying is racist the, as hell. It's called the bigotry of low expectations. Right, exactly. So, but that's okay, apparently. And I don't find, I don't understand how that is okay. Oh, God, there was this one article, uh, I forget what it was. It was something like, you know, Donald Trump was doing something to curb tail drug drug sellers or something. Right. And um, the headline was something like, Donald Trump's new law unfairly targets black people. And it's like, do you even realize what you're saying? Because the, the law was just like, you know, harsher penalties for selling drugs or something like that. So they automatically assume that people who sell drugs are black? They sure did. And they oh didn't even God. realize what they were doing. It's just unbelievable. What's that called again? Bigotry of low expectations. Bigotry of low expectations. Yeah, because they, expect, they don't expect black people to be able to function in society, which somehow makes them... The non-racists. That, I don't know. I know that makes them non-racists, and it's one of the most racist things I've ever heard in my entire life. Yeah, pretty much. I, I mean, passing these laws because they think it causes minorities to be arrested is one of the most racist things I've ever heard. I can't say that I've ever seen a young uh, individual or teenage teenager of, uh, of color spit on the sidewalk. And I can't tell yeah, you how many times I've seen like white kids thing. spit on the sidewalk. Yeah, of course. Yeah, that's more like so a I, like a rural, yeah. Or even even in YZ, I see these kids spitting on the sidewalk, and I'm like, what's? Why are you spitting on yeah, the sidewalk? Don't si- spit on the sidewalk. You, you know, it's it, it's a weird, just a bizarre logic process. I you know, but it's just so odd that these certain white people think they need to protect black people because they can't protect themselves. How racist is that? That you believe that? I, I don't know. Well, are you going to go to bed feeling good about yourself at the end of the day that I got a law changed? I got it changed so that they yeah, can they spit are. wherever they want to spit now. <laughs> it's just unbelievable. And when was the last time someone was oh. taken in or arrested or pinched for spitting? Right. Yeah, I feel like in ab- that case you get several warnings. There's the- <laughs> absolutely no proof that that's true, by the way. I, I was No l- proof at all that that's true. They have If, if you get caught spitting... On a sidewalk or a city building in Goodyear, Arizona, your fine is up to twenty five hundred bucks and up to six months in jail. <laughs> there you go, six months in jail for so spitting. Well, they, they they haven't controlled the diphtheria problem because that a lot of those laws came from that oh, communicable really? diseases. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so that's why you yep. shouldn't right, spit. Right, right. No, yeah. that's true. Hong you, Kong, I think you go to jail for life. Oh, <laughs> well, spit gum oh, no, on the street. No, or, Singapore. Malaysia, I mean, Singapore. Singapore, Singapore yeah. they do not they like really, gum. We no. got the caning. They don't like there. a lot of things. Hmm. Yeah. They got caning. They do still, have yeah. caning. It uh, works, so, I mean, hey. The one I really have a problem with is cursing in public. I've cursed in public before. I, I'm not a big spitter, so I don't know about that. Yeah, but the one that bothers spit. me is allowing people to hang around public restrooms. I am not real comfortable with yeah. guys of any stripe. I mean, what's the theory behind that one? Hanging around a woman's bathroom door. Uh, not wild or, about that or idea the men's, at all. Or the men's bathroom door, George Michael. Yeah. Yeah. Well, there you I mean, go. You, exactly. I mean, yeah. Why you don't be hanging around the bathroom? Don't be hanging around for the. You know, just don't be hanging around. The, that's creepy. That's bizarre. Um, well, that's also where I'm. You know, sorry to change the subject, but it's kind of on the same plane. Um, that's where a lot of kids get 
snatched is that is from public, public restrooms. restrooms exactly yeah. but also it's a, it's, it's why an would ideal um, a, a sense of uh, cubicle privacy to do drugs yeah oh yeah, oh, yeah. there's a lot go, of yeah. nightclubs they have a uh, blue lights in all their bathrooms because that way you can't see where your veins are oh ah. well, that's a good idea Pretty clever. It's a really yeah. good they idea. They don't want heroin ODs in their clubs? <laughs> no, they don't. Yeah, but you Weird. can see that line of coke. Yeah, oh, yeah. You can see the line of coke yeah, in the blue. That's oh, God, I read a story about um, in the 70s, there were several people, apparently back before they had mastered the uh, art of administering LSD, they used to just manufacture the powder and put it out on a table for people to just, like, I don't know, lick some of or something. And a lot of people didn't know what it was and assumed it was cocaine. Oh, so they would snort a line of LSD, Holy and apparently, cow. if you uh, if you have enough LSD in your system, you just kind of bleed internally and die. Oh God! Really? Yeah. You know that? Yeah. yeah. The dosage of LSD is a little is very low. Very spotty. Oh right? yeah, it's I like mean, it, it's like micrograms. I, I was in. Yeah, if you take in high school, and a buddy of mine said, "Hey, you want to drop some acid with me?" And I'd I'd never tried any of the drugs i'd smoked a couple you know puffs of weed here and there but that was it and he goes dave it's it's amazing you're gonna see things in a different way and he hands me this little piece of paper that's i'm not kidding it's like like two squares from a piece of graph paper and i'm like a all blotter, right yeah and i grab it and i go to throw it in my mouth he goes whoa he goes dude you gotta tear that into fourths and i said fourths oh. and he said yeah that that whole tab will kill you and I said, this little piece of paper would kill me? He goes, it could really put you, uh, put a hurt on you. I pushed it back to him. I said, no, thanks. And how do I know that the corner I got didn't get more saturated uh, uh, than the rest right. of it? Yeah. To me, any drug that you, that small a tab can hit you and wipe yeah, you out, that, I, that, that was the end of so, my deal. So the message we should take away from here is that the quality control of mm-hmm. street drugs is in question. Right, exactly. <laughs> quality now, if you have good quality control, no quality I'm all control. for it. Sure. Yikes. Uh, There are perceptual illusions, for example, in which white subjects perceive black faces as angrier than white faces with the exact same expression. Race can bias people to see harmless objects as weapons when they're in the hands of black men and to dislike abstract images that are paired with black faces. And there are dozens of variants of laboratory tests finding that most participants are faster to identify bad words paired with black faces than white faces. I would say this. You need to put a qualifier on that statement you just made. Because to me, they don't. Because I grew up with people of all... Well, not I did not grow up with a lot of Asians. But I grew up with a lot of Mexicans, a lot of black people, and a lot of white people. I do not equate black faces with any of those things. Because I'm thinking, yeah, if you get somebody from, from a small town in anywhere in America where there are no black people and you've never seen black people before... You may, I mean, back in the days when there were no black people in movies or television, people went through their entire lives without ever seeing a black person. Unless they watched Jack Benny, I guess, because <laughs> of Rochester, and Step and Fetch it in some of the movies. Lawrence Welk. But yeah, I would, I would guess it all depends on the white people you're asking the questions to. And the other Because po- I, I would not see it that way. I guarantee you I wouldn't see it that way. You know, that, the other part of it is... Um, their perceived perception and their clothing. Because if yeah. you see a black man who has a priest a Cossack on, he has something in it, you're not going to assume that something in his hand is going to be a weapon. No. You see, You see a white punk who's dressed with the sagging clothes and stuff like that. I look at him and he's got something in his hand. I would worry that it could be a weapon. Because, yeah, I think, uh, because of, of where's the, the knife. That's right. You know, you, you worry based on the the cultural setting of what you're in you know there's not many there's not many uh, professionals uh lawyer professionals or uh, clergy or you know people that you would respect and look up to that walk around with saggy pants you just don't i mean I, I'm, no, it's, not, it, it's it, by and large by and large no there's a few entertainers who no, do that exactly. who are respectable people but by and large when you see somebody that's like that that's a that's that's a sign that you know maybe they've had a they've had you know other intentions in their mind Maybe not, but still, that's something you worry about if you don't sag. No, that's exactly it. I'll I'll tell you something. If I was going to have a bias, which I'm not going to, it would be against white people, which would be a little difficult to do since my entire family's white. People who have lied to me or cheated me out of money or cheated me in any way, every one of them was a white person. I had a guy put a gun to my head and pull the trigger, and luckily it didn't fire. He was a white person. 
I've been sucker punched by a white person and one time by a Native American guy. So if any race ever, ever harmed me in any way, it was the one time a Native American sucker punched me. That was it. So shouldn't I then, whenever I see a white person, think, oh, my God, they're going to they're gonna cheat me or they're going to sucker punch me? I, I don't No, I don't see it that way. It's an individual thing, isn't it? Yeah. I, I just, I guess maybe because of where I grew up, I just don't lump all these people into the same basket. I just don't do that because that's not the way I grew up. It's not that I'm special or that I grew up in a special way. It's just I hung around with black kids, Mexican kids, Native American kids. There were no Asians that I can remember, and I'm sure I'd remember them because I, I got a damn good memory. I just, it is what it is, whatever. And I think your excuses, white people's excuses for, oh, it's because they're minorities, you're a racist asshole. That's what the real problem is. And we'll be right back, Tom Bernard Show. I'm here with my real estate agent, Chris Lindahl. And after seeing what he did for me, I asked if he had something that would help our listeners. Chris, what do you got? We have something very special for KQ listeners. April 16th through the 18th, the Chris Lindahl team is hosting our SellerWorkshop.com series, where we're going to teach you how to net between thirty dollars to $60,000 more on your home sale. And the best part is it's absolutely free. So that sounds great, Chris, but what's the catch? Tom, here's what I'll share with you. The number one core value at the Chris Lindahl team is to be generous. I have a teaching degree, and this is my passion to educate homeowners in the Twin Cities on how to sell your house the right way so you don't end up leaving tens of thousands of dollars on the table going through the traditional real estate process. So go to sellerworkshop.com for times and locations and to sign up for your free ticket. The seller workshops are happening April 16th through the 18th. Seating is limited, and trust me, they sell out fast. Visit SellerWorkshop.com or call 763-401-SOLD. Tom here for Sabre Plumbing, Heating, and Air Conditioning. When you call Sabre for service, you'll get a certified technician that's an expert at diagnosing, repairing, and installing heating and air conditioning equipment. Sabre Techs give you the service you need, not the other stuff that you don't need. When you combine that with Sabre's A rating for customer service and the best equipment from Bryant, you get exactly what you need. So make the call to Sabre Plumbing, Heating, and Air Conditioning today. Sabre and Bryant, whatever it takes. Was that your drug dealer music? Or what do you got going there? Could be. It's the White Stripes. White Stripes. Is Dr. Uber ready to go? Yep. Excellent. Yes, sir. Parents concerned over... How are you, Dr. John Huber? I'm amazing, man. I love your last segment. That was great. <laughs> I, I am so tired of, of people, oh, this is how it really is. I mean, to me, the generalizations that, that people make, people in power make about... Uh, all races, all sexes, all orientations, it's insane. We didn't all grow up the same way. We do not all see things the same way. That makes no sense exactly. to me. Like, I grew up in a very poor neighborhood. I would never think of putting a condom up my nose and sucking it in or snorting it in until I could pull it out of my throat. <laughs> I mean, previous generations no, who did this. Really? Uh, this is not, this no, is not previous a new thing. Who, who, no, previous generations who ingested condoms, they were usually full of heroin or cocaine, and you were a mule. I, I don't get this. Snorting <laughs> it through your nose and pulling it out your mouth. I don't Previous either. generations didn't have uh, YouTube and Instagram. Yeah. <laughs> is that what it is, Dr. Huber? Monkey see, monkey do. Yeah, and we didn't swallow, you know, uh, cinnamon either, you know, so let's, oh. you know. Parents concerned over teenage condom snorting challenge craze with psychologist Dr. John Huber. Viral videos posted on social media show teenagers snorting condoms as part of a so-called condom snorting challenge. In the videos, teens put an unwrapped condom up one of their nostrils. No, I thought it was wrapped. It'd be better if it was wrapped. There's the challenge. There is the challenge. I can't get it up there. I might pay a buck to watch that. Yeah. Oh, I might pay a buck to watch that. Yeah. We're going to see some blood. That's going to raise with the inside of your nose. Ugh. 
they, they, they take an unwrapped oh. condom, uh, they stick it up one of their nostrils and inhale until the condom comes out of their uh, mouth. It gags me thinking about it. So you're basically swallowing oh, yeah. your own boogers, first of all. I just so okay. Dr. Huber, what's this all about? Are they, what are, is this? But are they lubricated? Are they a lubricated uh, Well, you know, item? that's what I want to know. Are they lubricated, and are they using, like, non-oxygamol 9, a spermicidal lubricant, which oh. actually will burn the inside uh. of your mouth, uh. you know? So uh. I, I, it, it, it doesn't make a lot of sense. But, I mean, these are the guys who are eating Tide Pods for a snack, you know? So I, I, and nothing, nothing surprises me from them at this point. Uh, I think they're just trying to conform, trying to outdo the next person. They're they're looking for that instant fame without having to work for it, you know. Because there there's no overnight success in any entertainment industry that hadn't been in the business for 20 years before they became an overnight success. So they just want to play on. They deserve it. And here, I'll I'll snort a condom up my nose and I'll get a million watches. So. God. Do you- uh, as you point out, Doctor. Oh, go go ahead, Doctor Basham. Do, do you think this all started with uh, Johnny Knoxville and his antics? Uh, you know, he got his oh. uh, his show started by shooting himself uh, with a, a bulletproof vest on, and that's really what got him his sort of start in in the jackass kind of. Uh, well, Bam series. Majera had the actual first show, and then they added Johnny Knoxville when they sold it to MTV right. as yeah. being kind of the handsome oh, face right. of it. Okay. But that kind of, yeah, that started the whole jackass nation of everybody trying to do stupider stunts. But is that where we start exactly. to see I that? Think, I, think that's, I think that's like the when the clock really started ticking. I think people were doing it before. I mean, go back to Evil Knievel. You know, I mean, it, it was just a one-off kind of thing at that point. But once we got cell phones and the ability to record ourselves doing anything, anytime, it was like, instead of, hey, hold my beer, it's, hey, hold my cell phone and tap on the record button when I tell you to. That is that is that is so interesting because when I saw Evil Knievel do that stuff, I said, that guy's nuts. Right, but you <laughs> exactly. watched it. That, yeah, that's what, actually, I never, exactly. I, I wouldn't Both even points. Tr- I wouldn't even try those things. You know, some, if I would have, if I would have, I'll watch Ed Sullivan. Oh, God, man, am I old. If I would have watched that and someone did this cinema, I'd like, well, you're nuts. What's wrong with you? I, and that's yeah, exactly I, right. What is wrong with them? You know, and, and I think they're being taught that they deserve and they're entitled to things without having to work for it. So I want fame. So I'm going to do the most bizarre, extreme thing I can think of and be the first one to record it and put it out there on, on YouTube. And this is what we're getting. And everybody's going to be real. I'm going to be a hero and everybody's going to know who I am. Is that what it is? I, got, I have to be a known entity. Yeah, but why can't we challenge right. our youth to to do more spectacular things? You know, it was one thing to sit there and watch people go up the Scoville uh, deal eating hot peppers and, and watching right. their reactions on video, and some of them were, were pretty funny. But when you start getting into inhaling uh, condoms, eating Tide Pods, um, even the dangers. I mean, how, how dangerous was it to take a tablespoon of cinnamon and try to swallow it, Doc? Oh, serious respiratory issues. People getting cinnamon down in their lungs and having permanent scar oh. tissue and damage in there. I mean, that that that's just not a smart thing to do. And, you know, I think the, the tide is turning, not to be a pun on the Tide Pods, but I watch the post-millennial kids, and I see them, I, you know, they come into my office or I go out on their campus because I have kids in that generation, and I hear them talking about, you know, that is just stupid. Why Why do they think that's a good idea? And they're talking about building businesses and things like that. At the same time, I have some millennials in my office that are amazing. So it's not all of the millennials that are doing this. But it's enough of them that we're seriously concerned. All I keep thinking about is one day I'm going to be checking into a nursing home and how many of these guys are going to be working there. Yeah. <laughs> oh, that's a scary that's thought right nice. there, uh, Doctor. Let me that's ask. Let me ask nice. you this: If if you were to, if you were to go back forty years, was there a, a, a subset of youth that would be comparable to the uh, youth that are doing this now? I, I think so. I think, however, it was such a small minority that you know we we kind of excuse them as okay, maybe that's what the doctor's talking about when they say mentally ill, and. It wasn't. It still isn't. It's just people have no common sense. And 
that's a scary thing. Like I said, you know, these, these are going to be our caretakers at some point in our lives. Well, how do we, I've got a lot of younger kids and, and they love watching these YouTube videos and everything. How do you start talking to the kids about just how stupid and dangerous this is? Because they seem kids, a lot of the kids out there right now just don't seem to see the repercussions for the actions that they're taking and realizing just how dangerous it is because they're watching morons do it left and right on social media and they're still alive. They, they are. Yeah, and, and they are. And what I do is I try to get the my parents of my patients and, and I take my kids and stuff and take them out into real life experiences. And, you know, we, we've kind of gotten away from being out in the country and seeing where, for example, our food comes from. So, you know, we take our kids fishing and then we teach them to do things like clean the fish and then cook it. And all of a sudden they start realizing that death is final and that something stupid like that is a bad idea because they could die from it. And so many of our kids have no clue. You know, I mean, so we get our kids out and my friends and we take them out into the country, get them away from cell phone reception and take them hiking and camping and climbing and fishing and hunting. And it, it's amazing how that changes their life perspective. See, that's a good thing. You're, you're absolutely right. So people, there are young people. At, at what age, is there an average age where, where young people understand that, that, that you know, death is final? Uh, little children want to believe that, no, it's not. And all. Is, is there a cutoff age? I mean, is, it, is 12 really the age of reason? <laughs> or is that all just made you know, up as we went along? Well, that was a general number, and it was also in a different time. You know, when we yeah. had real-life experiences and weren't learning everything on YouTube, and, you know, when, when our, my life experience of death is Call of Duty and I regenerate, you know, five seconds after I get killed, it's hard for a seven-year-old who's now 18 years old to think, you know, death is permanent. Yeah, right. And we wonder why millennials have the highest suicide attempt rate of any previous generation ever. God, isn't that terrible? Life should be improved. We have the highest attempted suicide rate, therefore I assume the highest suicide rate in in the history of the United States right now? With the millennials, yeah. Well, unfortunately, or fortunately, a lot of them don't really know how to actually go about executing themselves correctly uh, so that they're successful. So there's a high failure rate, and that just gives us an opportunity as adults to try to re-educate them and get things changed. It's, it's the, but, uh, the, it is, Doctor, it's, it's the idea of a high suicide rate among millennials uh, parallel the idea of these school shootings, whereas that's a, that's, that's a suicide attempt or, you know, it's a suicide by police, but, you know, but first you want to shoot, you want to run amok before you get, you get killed. Is it what was that go out with a blaze of glory kind of thing? Yeah, you're... Well, we're seeing the the common the commonalities with school shootings are that they all have so far had absentee fathers. So it could be I'm going to make my family suffer as well as this, and I'm going to go out. So that may be, and you know, hopefully we'll get some good research out of out of uh, the Florida because he's going to be you know on death row for a long time and lots of lots of appeals. So there may be some time to do some work with him and find out, because unfortunately, a lot of these people meet their demise very quickly, and we don't have access to them to do the work to find out. Dr. Huber, you know how great it is for me to be sitting right next to my son, and I can turn to him and go, see, I'm taking care of you. Well, you know, I... I can imagine, and I, I'm, I'm proud of that fact, that you're able to do that because that shows how much you trust in having your son right there. And the same way with my kids. I, I've never failed to be Im- impressed by them. I mean, my kids, I can't tell you over the years how many times they've come in with their social media and said, look, this is my friend in school, and he's talking about killing himself, and we go and get help for those kids. And they yeah, bring it to great. my attention because they know it. You know, and... Now I'm, I'm actually starting to kind of appreciate some of these social media outlets because they've actually started putting processes in place. So instead of having to track down parents and stuff like that, I could go to, for example, Snapchat, and they got a process in place where they start 
tracking down parents and getting help for the kids. That's wonderful. I mean, that is wonderful. I had a conversation with a woman on the show yesterday whose mother was a paranoid schizophrenic and her father was an alcoholic. And my father was schizophrenic. My mother was not an alcoholic, but she was a workaholic, so she was never around because she was always working. Exactly. And we talked about how angry that makes us even all these years later. It, 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 I didn't get a childhood because of that, and she felt the same way. I mean, that's a, that's a very difficult thing to go through, and it's not, oh, poor me or anything like that. But what you're talking about, it's not a coincidence that these guys uh, had no father in the home. And, you know, and it's just as important for young girls as it is for young boys. To have a, to have a mother around for me was really, really important. My yeah. mother and my two yeah. sisters, they raised me, my old, two older sisters and my mother. But I've been told, I took the MMPI, and even though I'm a very large man, and I guess they were just talking about I'm intimidating in some ways, I, according to the MMPI, the Minnesota Multiphasic Personality Inventory, I think like a woman which is kind of odd, <laughs> but then I heard the story just uh, last week on Criminal Minds that certain Native American tribes, when people they captured wouldn't tell them what they wanted to know, they would turn those cap- ta- captives over to the women who would brutalize them. <laughs> so, you know, you learn things as you go along in life that I just love. No, fathers and mothers, families need to stay together at all costs. Don't just get out there and start having a family or don't, you know, solid family. We, we have, my wife and I have been together Isn't for 37 important. years. We've been married for 34 years. Uh, Andy's 31. Our daughter, Alex, who also works on the show a few days a week, is 29. We've been together forever. I just, it's what I dreamed of and it's what happened. So it made my life that much better. It just has. That, that is awesome. And you know, you kind of hit on a key thing. Most people who have that are relatively stable and they have enough resilience that they're able to overcome and you've got good coping skills. And so does this guest you had on. The problem shows up when you have a child who has some kind of mental health issues or developmental issues along the way, and that compounded with the lack of a, a, a parental figure is what what the trigger mechanism is. So the resilience yeah. and actually your intelligence allowed you to overcome, and you saw, and you, you did what we call pseudo-adultism. You kind of shifted into the adult when you needed to be, even though you might have been eight years old, you knew what an adult should have to do at a certain place, and you took over that role. And then occasionally you would go back to be a kid, but you never really had a kid's life after that. No, I did not. That's very, very true. You know, Dr. Huber, I love having you on. And if we reached you out to you uh, when when important issues came up, you'd be on every day. <laughs> so, uh, but I well, love talking you. to you. I th- <laughs> thank you. Thank you so much for your time today, Dr. Huber. No problem. Thank you for having me on. As always, we'll be back. Tom Bernard Show.